morning, church. Welcome. Welcome to those who are joining us online as well. Our series in the month of December is Regifting Christmas. And in that spirit, I'm regifting a gift in every service in the month of December. And so this is, it's not these packages up here. Those look good, but they're not real. This one is real. First one up after the service can have that. The only rules are this. If you got it last week, you cannot get it this week, Rylan. So, all right, it's got to be somebody new. And don't open it till you get home, because I don't want everybody else to see it. But that's never been used. It's not a gag. It does have value. Regifting Christmas. I want to begin by reading a letter to Dear Abby. This letter is 19, it was published 19 years ago from a teacher. It starts off like this. I have been retired from teaching for many years and would like to share a lesson I learned that stands out in my memory. I was young and teaching math at the junior high level. We had worked hard on the new concept all week, and the students were very stressed. They were frowning, frustrated, and <clears throat> carping at each other and me, wanting to stop the crankiness before it got out of hand. I asked the students in the room to take out two sheets of paper and list the names of the other students in the room, leaving a space in between each name. Then I told them to think of the nicest thing they could say about each of their classmates and write it down. It took the remainder of the class period to finish the assignment. When the students handed me the papers and left, they seemed more relaxed. That weekend, I wrote the name of each student on a separate sheet of paper and listed what the students had said about that individual. On Monday, I gave each student his or her list. Before long, everyone was smiling. Really? I heard one whisper. I, I never knew that meant anything to anyone. I, never, uh, I didn't know anyone liked me that much. The assignment was never mentioned again, but it didn't matter because the exercise had accomplished its purpose. The students felt better about themselves and each other. They had been encouraged. In this sermon series, we're talking about gifts that we have received from God as Christians. Like So last week, we began talking about forgiveness. We're Christians, so we have received the gift of forgiveness from God. And that's a gift that we can turn around and give to others. And in fact, God expects us to forgive the other people in our lives. That'll ch change our life, and it can change their life too. And it's something we, we still have, even though we give it away, like a good recipe. You still have it, even though you give it away. So those are the types of gifts that we're looking at each Sunday in this month of December. And today, I simply want to talk about encouragement. We're Christians, so we have received encouragement from God. And you know that, but here's some representative verses. Romans 15, 4, Paul writes, The Scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Verse 5, may God who gives this patience and encouragement help you. 2 Corinthians 7, 6, but God who encourages those who are discouraged encouraged us. Now our God is a God of encouragement. It's good to remember this morning. God has encouraged us through the scriptures, through the provisions that he gives us every day through the church, through individuals in the church. And of course, the Bible is full of instructions for us to re-gift encouragement, to be encouragers to others. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage each other and build each other up. 2 Corinthians 13.11, encourage each other. Ephesians 4.29, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And we could go on. We've received encouragement, and God wants us to re-gift that gift of encouragement to others. I just want to say three basic things about encouragement this morning. 
And the first one is there's a great need for encouragement. People need to be encouraged. Now, we're doing our scripture work in Acts chapter 9, verse Acts 9, 26, we read, When Saul came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. Why, were, why was the church afraid of Saul? He's trying to integrate himself and assimilate with the first Christian church of Jerusalem. They're afraid of him. If you know Saul's backstory, you know the answer to that. Because Saul, before he became a Christian, was a persecutor of the church. This is Acts 9. Previous chapter, Acts chapter 8, Luke records that Saul was going from house to house in Jerusalem, dragging out men and women, throwing them in prison. These were Christians. He was after the Christians in the church. Now, since that time, he had converted, but it was way over in Damascus. And so now he's back in Jerusalem, and the members of the church there are suspicious, understandably so. I mean, is this genuine, or is Saul like a wolf in sheep's clothing? He just wants to come in here and spy us out and continue devastating the church. So here you've got Saul. He's got this baggage from his past and his history, and it's haunting him in the, in the present. It's hindering his assimilation into the church. Had to be very discouraging. I just want to springboard from that. Saul's a Christian, but he's dealing with some issues that could be discouraging. Sometimes, you know, new people in the church can be discouraged or even guess because they're looking for a church home, but they're finding it hard to assimilate and find their place. It's good for us who've been members for a while to remember how that feels. Now, we've been here for a year or two years or three years. How, how uh, intimidating it can be to be a guest in the church. Just think if you as a Christian, we're going to visit uh, an Islamic mosque or a Hindu temple. You're going to walk in there thinking, well, what do I expect? What's going to happen in here? What do people do? Do they stand? Do they kneel? And what's going to be expected of me? It's intimidating. Am I going to make connections and friends? And so we need to bear that in mind and remember it. John Maxwell writes, you should never forget that everyone needs encouragement. And everyone who receives it, young or old, successful or less than successful, unknown or famous, is changed by it. A word of encouragement is oxygen for the soul. The churn rate for the average church in America is 18 to 22%. Churn rate is the turnover in membership. And our, our church is right there in that average. 18 to 22% of any given congregation, there are people who are leaving and there are new people who are coming in. Why do people leave a church? Any, any, this church, any given church? A lot of reasons. Uh, it could be it could be because they don't like the music. It could be a, a doctrinal disconnect of some kind. It could be, believe it or not, it could be the preacher sometimes says or does or doesn't say or, or doesn't do, and people get upset about that. But sometimes, sometimes people leave a church because for whatever reason they haven't made connections, they haven't made friendships, they haven't found their place of service and ministry. And that can be discouraging. But that's not, that's not the only way to be discouraged, certainly. Talk about Paul's, or Saul rather, Saul's history and his backstory, the baggage that came from that. We all deal with that as well, do we not? I mean, have you always lived a consistent Christian life and always made decisions that lined up with your Christian values and obedience to God and always done the right thing? Maybe, maybe not. Some of us also have a history. We have baggage, and we continue to live with the consequences 
even though we may be forgiven. What did Elvis sing? I did it my way. He said, regrets, I've had a few. But how many? Too few to mention. I think, really, Elvis, too few to mention? Man, if I was writing the lyrics of I did it my way, when I did it my way and not God's way, boy, regrets, I've had a lot, too many to mention. And sometimes that baggage just comes in back into our lives and it causes discouragement. You know, once a month, the leadership here gets together and prays over the prayer list. You fill out a communication card in the, in the chair there in front of you. There's a place for prayer requests. And the elders and deacons and staff get together and we pray through. This is the prayer list from last Sunday. And I, I do, I'm like, like a lot of you, I pray through it every week. I think as a leader in the church, the least I should be doing is praying for the people in this congregation. So, but my point is this. You can't look through a prayer list like this. You can't pray through it without realizing how many are struggling with challenges and issues and battles in their lives who have uh, health, serious health challenges, financial issues, family drama, dysfunction in the family, who are hurting in so many different ways. It just serves, and this is just a fraction. Now, it's only 30-something praises and prayer requests on here. It's just a fraction of people who bother to write down what they're going through. All that is just to say, on a practical level, just about every human interaction that we have, we are going to be dealing with someone, whether they show it or not, we're dealing with someone who has a, a major cause of discouragement in their life, who has a major battle or challenge or hurdle. If, if we were able to get below the superficial level with that person, they would tell us of some tremendous challenge that they have, and they need encouragement. The people sitting in front of you, behind you, beside you today, desperately need encouragement in their lives. In fact, turn to someone right now and say, you look like you could use some encouragement. Ah, don't you hate it when people make you do that and talk to other people? I, I hate that, personally. Glad I'm up here and not down there. But you get that. All that you already knew. That's just a reminder this morning. That's the human condition. We don't need stats and all that. We know from our own experience, we need encouragement and other people need encouragement. So what we want to do, I want to look at some qualities of an encourager. We're going to use uh, Barnabas, continuing chapter Acts 9. Barnabas is our example because he was so good at encouragement. Verse 27, Acts 9, 27. But Barnabas took hold of Saul, brought him to the apostles, and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus Saul had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. So here Barnabas is our example today. Now, Barnabas was not his given name, was it? Barnabas was his nickname. What was his given name? Anybody know? Joseph. That's right. When he was born, he was named Joseph. But this right here, Barnabas, that's just his nickname. And what does it mean? Son of encouragement. What a nickname to be given. Just saying, if somebody gave you a nickname, what would your nickname be? Might your nickname be son of encouragement or daughter of encouragement? Or would it be something else? Would it be son of discouragement? daughter of discouragement. When we interact with people, do they walk away more encouraged than before? Or do they walk away thinking, well, man, that was negative. That was sour. That was critical. I'm sorry I talked to that person, you know. Are we sons and daughters? What would our nickname be? Encouragement or discouragement? 
Well, Barnabas comes alongside of Saul, takes hold of him. I just kind of picture him putting an arm around his shoulder or, you know, maybe shaking his hand. Takes him to the apostles. You talk about the inner circle. That's the apostles. Speaks a good word on Saul's behalf. He says, now look, I know he's got a checkered history, but this guy's the real deal. He has seen the resurrected Jesus just like you apostles. He has preached back in Damascus. We want to we cut Saul here some slack. So what, what a tremendous job of encouragement. Just some observations about an encouragement. Number one, an encourager is observant. Observant. Barnabas notices what is going on with Saul. You have to be paying attention to do that. He wasn't the kind of church member who's got the blinders on. He's in the zone. He comes in. I'm going to get my communion, and I'm going to get out. He's looking around. He's observing. Introverts are good at that. And I love you. I love you extroverts. Extroverts, we need extroverts. They're important. But a lot of times, the extroverts are so busy emoting all over everyone and working the room, they can miss the subtle dynamics of what's going on with people. Now, the introverts, they kind of hold back a little bit, but they're very observant. And they notice things sometimes that other people don't notice. And if you're an introvert, you might be wired up to be an encourager because you're paying attention to what's going on. Uh, so, we're just talking about some of the qualities of a person who's an encourager. Number one, they're observant. Number two, they're bold. Bold. Taking the initiative. Everybody else is afraid of Saul, but not Barnabas. Or if he was, he didn't show it. He goes right up to him and initiates this relationship. Can't hold back. And wait, if we notice somebody, hey, they seem to be sitting by themselves all the time. They don't seem to have made connections. We can't wait until they come to us. You know, an encourager notices and is bold and initiates. Some of you know, I haven't always been in the preaching ministry. There were several years there, and I was out of the preaching ministry and software sales and living in Orlando. And so we were just going to, we were church shopping, looking for a church to belong to, like people do. And we had, we visited the Metro Church of Christ in Oviedo, which is east of Orlando proper. And after the church service, we were standing outside, Tammy and I, and visiting with people. And our, Katie and Stephen were teenagers at that time, our kids. And as we were standing outside, two of the teenagers from the youth group, Jared and Becky, came over and introduced themselves to Stephen and Katie and chatted with them and then took them over to introduce them to some of the other kids in the youth group. And Tim and I looked at each other, and we were so happy. We were so glad that they had done that. In fact, we knew right then in our church shopping, all other things being equal, if this was a church where the doctrine was sound, the preaching was good, this was going to be our church. That closed the deal for us because we desperately wanted our children to belong, to be a part of a youth group where they had Christian peers I mean, teenagers, young people these days, middle school, high school, they need Christian peers, that solid peer group. And so we knew that that was going to be our church. And we will forever be grateful to those two young people who were bold and took that initiative. Well, let me say, we have some young people, we have some students in here this morning. I'll tell you something. If you're a member of this church and you're a student, a middle schooler or a high schooler, you have tremendous power to do that for other families. 
when there are families who are guests and they're looking for a church and they visit here and they've got middle schoolers, high schoolers, students, and teens, they are desperately praying to God that some young person in this church will do that for them. That's what they want for their children and their family. Young people, you can do that. You can be such a difference maker right here and right now. But in all levels, that's just an example of what everyone is looking for, someone who will take a little bit of initiative and show them some encouragement. And then the other thing, I noticed that Barnabas is friendly. You know, this is rocket science. When you encourage someone, we're just talking about being friendly, shaking somebody's hand, uh, maybe praying a prayer for them. Think of how many of the one another passages in the Bible are just basic kindness and goodness and friendliness and being nice. Speak to one another, greet one another, Pray for one another, teach one another, share scripture, love one another. It's just basic niceness and friendliness, and that's what, what Barnabas was doing. I uh, heard about a guy who was working on his uh, business degree in college, and he took a test of 10 questions, and he breezed through the first nine, but the 10th question was, what is the name of the lady who cleans this building? And he thought, oh my goodness, that's out of left field, what's that all about? He didn't know. He'd seen her, and he could describe her, but he didn't know her name. When he turned in his paper, he asked the prof, does this 10th question really count toward my grade? The prof said, oh, yes, absolutely. He said, in your career, you're going to meet all kinds of people. All of them are significant. All of them are important, and you need to show them courtesy, kindness, and love, even if it's just learning somebody's name, greeting them, and calling them by name. It is important. You know, and we, here's the reminder, we have 250 adults in this church, but they're all spread out in three services. In any given service, there's about 80, 80 or 90 of us in here. This is your church. Now, the other services are our church too, but basically people go to the same service every week. And basically sit in the same spot and go to the same service. I do, I sit right over there. And this is our church, and we get to know each other and observe and initiate and learn names and encourage one another in this, our church. So just some uh, qualities of an encourager. And finally, I want to just note the power of encouragement. In verse 29, and so Saul was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. Here's the result. So now Saul finds himself integrated into the church, moving freely. They've accepted him. I mean, if you're friends with Barnabas, you're in, because Barnabas had that kind of influence. What a, what a, the power here that Barnabas was able to influence Saul in such a way he became integrated into the congregation. That's powerful. And there's also an X factor, because what did Saul do? Saul went on to become Paul, right? Saul became Paul the apostle. And what did Paul do? Well, only become probably the most influential Christian in the history of the church. He wrote most of our New Testament. He went on three missionary journeys. In fact, Barnabas accompanied him on that first missionary journey, playing that very important secondary support role for the missionary Paul. He planted churches wherever he went. What if what if Barnabas had not done his thing, worked his magic of encouragement? Would Saul ever have become Paul and done those things? Maybe, but I kind of doubt it. And here's, here's a great thing to know. When we encourage someone, we never really know. 
whether not only are we making a difference for them, helping to lock them and secure them into the church, but also we might be helping to unleash their contribution to the kingdom of God, the church. What a great contribution that could be. We just don't know. It is said that Gandhi, Gandhi at one point was considering becoming a Christian. He'd been reading the New Testament, and he visited a church in South Africa where he was practicing law, and it was a large church, and he was mounting the steps, and the, at the top of the steps was a white elder and, uh, who, who said, what can I do for you? And Gandhi said, well, I'd like to attend worship service here. And the elder said, no, there's no room for kafirs in here. Kafir, K-A-F-F-I-R was a racial slur at that time, so they turned him away. And Gandhi later wrote, he said, he determined then that he would take what he could that was useful from the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament, but he would never become a Christian if it meant joining a church, which it does. Now, we cannot help but wonder, what if? What if? You're talking about someone with a tremendous intellect and charisma and influence. What if Gandhi had met a son of encouragement on the church steps that day instead of a son of a discouragement. How might things have turned out differently? Let me conclude this morning by reading the rest of that letter that teacher wrote to Dear Abby. It was published 19 years ago. She writes, years later, I was asked to attend the funeral of one of those students, a promising young man even when I taught him in junior high school. I was deeply saddened by his untimely death in Vietnam. The church was packed with Mark's friends, many of whom had been his classmates and students of mine. After the funeral, I and many of Mark's former classmates were invited to his parents' house. They approached me and said, we want to show you something. Mark was carrying this when he was killed. His father pulled something from a wallet. It was the list of all the good things Mark's classmates had said about him. Thank you so much for doing that, Mark's mother said. As you can see, Mark treasured it. A group of Mark's classmates overheard the exchange. One smiled sheepishly and said, I still have my list. It's in my top desk drawer at home. Another said, I have mine too. It's in my diary. I put mine in our wedding album, said a third. Well, I bet we all saved them, said a fourth. I carry mine with me at all times. That's when I finally sat down and cried. The lesson my former students taught me that day became a standard in every class I taught for the rest of my teaching career. Sister HPN, St. Paul, Minnesota. We're re-gifting the gift of encouragement that has more power. We cannot overestimate the power that gift has to change someone's life. Our Father in heaven, we're remembering today to thank you for the encouragement that you have given to us. We also want to remember, even if our life is not totally squared away, we may, we're going to have issues in our own family, in our own finances, sometimes in our own health, in our own lives. We can't wait until all that is squared away before we reach out and encourage someone else. Lord, bring into our path someone that we can help with a word, with a, with a touch, with a scripture or a prayer, and help us to be sensitive in Jesus' name. Amen.